Now, traditionally, there were a group of kings, by the way, that were called the Hyksos dynasty, and they were known as the shepherd kings. And the shepherd kings, by the way, actually came up with a particular term, and the term is Fenchu. Can you say Fenchu? And Fenchu literally means the one who holds the shepherd's staff. And with that in mind, they were actually people that were relatively soft to shepherds because, to be honest, they sort of came from that background too. But they weren't traditionally, they were sort of like in Greece. No matter how long you live there, you're really never going to be Greek. You could be even, even if, you, even if they make you a citizen, you're sort of a Greek whatever at best. Well, the idea of the Hyksos is they were never really Egyptians. And so when an Egyptian king sort of steps up and he sort of boots out then the Hyksos dynasty, they refused to accept any of the laws that were passed, anything that the Hyksos dynasty had done before that point. Does that sort of make sense? Imagine an American being the prime minister of Israel, I'm Israel, sorry, of England, which by the way, I have no intent, just want to let you know that right off the, right off the bat, but in that, and all of a sudden he passes all of these laws that are very sort of typically American. All of a sudden, sort of football sort of becomes sort of poo-pooed and a baseball comes in and people are like, I don't know, you know. And all of a sudden, sooner or later, there's a guy and he's as British as bangers and mash and he sort of takes over the prime minister. He says, you know what? Let's overrule everything that had to do with America. From this point, we're even going to change our flag. There's no red, white, or blue in it from this point on because we don't even look like it's something American. Well, that's the idea of the Hicks's dynasty here being removed. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because of that, because this was an entirely different dynasty, hear me, please, please. Egypt starts to look like a place that has never seen a savior. And I've got to be honest with you. That's what I see just about every day here. Not in this room. But I remember what it was like 10, 15 years ago, the first time since an adult actually coming to this country again. And it was New Year's Eve. Can you imagine? Talk about a childlike innocence. I was going to go share Jesus on New Year's Eve in Piccadilly Circus. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Do you know what happens on New Year's Eve in Piccadilly Circus? Obviously, everybody's completely pickled, but worse than just that is everybody has a whistle of all things, right? And you're in these sort of, you know, four-story tall things with narrow alleyways, and I'm going to start talk, approaching a stranger, actually talking about Jesus, and they're all going, blowing their whistles, and I'm thinking, oh, the whole thing's foul, and I remember it was like, it turned midnight, and there I am all dejected, sitting in, this, in the underground, just going, oh, I thought this was going to be romantic, and it was going to be, uh, you know. And I was like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did you think? Did you think that this was sort of an inch away from a revival again? You were going to just sort of go and kick the machine a little bit, and it would get started again? You can't build a harvest where seed hasn't been sown. And friends, please hear me out. God genuinely wants to save this precious country. And in wanting to save this precious country, he's not intimidated by the fact that it doesn't have to look like it starts that way. At this particular point, there is no hint of Joseph left around them. As a matter of fact, it's sort of anti-Joseph. The only message you get about Joseph at all for the last couple centuries is, whoever that guy is, we don't want anything to do with him. And isn't that very similar? That your experience as you go out and share Jesus with people, it's like, well, the only thing I really know about him is we're not supposed to really have anything to do with him. You go to places like Turkey. I mean, when you look at the epistles, more epistles are written to Turkey than anywhere else. Do you realize that? Find this thriving church there. Go to Macedonia and find a thriving church there. It makes me sick to my stomach to think of what once was it that isn't. But that doesn't intimidate God. 
And listen to this. I don't know if you see the weird humor in this and the most insane logic. Here it is. This new king that's over Egypt, brand new Pharaoh, did not know Joseph. He said to the people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are two things. There's more of them, and they're stronger than we are. Now imagine, you've turned on the telly today, and Clive starts to speak. And he's going to speak about a group of people that may appear to be in a minority. And he says, we've come to the conclusion about these people, two things. There's more of them than there are of us, and they're stronger than we are. So here's my conclusion. Let's make them slaves. Who's into that idea? Let's take a vote. Ready? I'll say I, 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 good. Okay, how do you start? Has anyone ever thought, how do you start that? There's more of them. They're stronger than you are. Who starts? Excuse me, um, I just wanted to let you know, we took a vote and we decided you should be a slave. Did you ever wonder how that started? Is there a strange idea? Now, here's the thing, and I love the fact it's my, it's my nine-year-old that, that, that punches these questions out, because she doesn't sort of hand you a question, she punches a question, if that makes sense. And she says, how did they let them do this? If they were that much bigger, if they were that much stronger, if they were that much more of them, which means at this moment, get this, there were more Israelis in Egypt than there were Egyptians in Egypt. At least that is the new king's estimation. Did you get that? And I says, well, to be honest, the only reason why the Israelis must have let this happen is they really just didn't know it. So someone says, you're an outcast. You realize how odd you are. You realize you're a vast, you're a, a tiny minority. You don't speak for anyone. You're a weirdo, a loser. But it's strange because even in the census as I look at these things and it still says that the vast majority of this country still claims to be Christian, how am I the minority? And so you know what, really, what we need to do is we need to sort of shove you off somewhere. Because don't you dare stop talking in your workplace and don't you share with a kid. Don't you even share with each other because that irritates me, you know? Because it's probably going to happen while I'm trying to get somewhere. The last thing I need to do is hear you sharing that religion of yours while I'm in the tube trying to actually read my metro. And all of a sudden, let's be honest, is it not true that even in the country we live in, it's made, the society has made Christianity awkward and then made it so that the last thing in the world you want to do is feel awkward. Put that math together. That immediately rules Christianity as something that is invasive, intrusive, ignorant, and rude. In a country that would rather you be proper and just sit down and shut up. And that's when I'm happy to be an American. Because they expect Americans to jump right in on you, right? So it's like, can I tell you about Jesus? Like, what? Because in the end of it all, I would love you enough to break through the awkward if it were the case. I mean, imagine ignoring the fact that your hand's in a trap or something's coming to eat you, and you don't want to really... I, I, I hate to bother you, but it looks like you, you, it's an interesting bracelet you've got there, and your hand's sort of stuck in this trap. It's like, someone down the line has got to love you enough to say, hey, you want help with that? You want out? You want out with that? Because if you don't, go ahead and get eaten. But we were polite to let you die, and we say we love the world because God so loved the world and He lives in us. And I realized, step one... 
of three that we'll see in this chapter, to try to shut down the deliverer is intimidation. Somewhere down the line, it isn't like, I mean, with all due respect to Egyptians, they're not the hugest people in the planet. It isn't like Amazons, Egyptians, you know, the sons of Goliath, they're all sort of on the same line. I mean, when was the last time, and I'm not trying to pick on them in any way, but when was the last time you saw, for instance, sort of, you know, an American football player that was Egyptian, or for that matter, someone who played basketball that was Egyptian that was like seven foot one. I mean, there's even a Chinese guy that's seven foot one, but we can't seem to find, and the only reason I say that is, is that it isn't like that they were naturally big brute beasts. You know, so they look and say, well, there might be more of you, but there's, there's I'm big, I'll beat you all up. I mean, the reason I say that is, is that somewhere down the line, someone came up to him and nobody called their bluff. Someone said, sit down and shut up. And he went, yes, sir. <laughs> well, there's probably only four of us in the planet anyway, so I'll just sit here and just be a good Christian, do good deeds. Not in the name of Jesus, because that could offend people. I'll just... Be a nice person. God's like, what's nice about letting your friends go to hell when everything I'm supposed to do is to be done in the name of Jesus? Friends, look at this. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let's intimidate them. That's the whole whole concept of it, by the way. Chacham is the word. With them. Because if we don't, they'll multiply more. And don't you realize that this whole country is starting to look like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? If this whole country started to look like people who love Jesus, this whole country started to look like people, imagine instead it's like it's rush hour and you're down there somewhere on the circle line and people go, oh, no, 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 after you, really, really, after you. Instead of, you know, a little bit more down, move, move down, please. You know, and someone's like, you know, that's the only time I'm really, really thankful I'm as tall as I am because, you know, everyone's sort of shoved in here like this and I'm like, aren't you glad I used deodorant? Um, and the only, reason, the only reason I say that, friends, is is that this country really doesn't, I mean, the, the marks of it don't, don't bear the marks of a person that really, that's been affected by a savior. And yet I hear these amazing stories of a time before I was born, some of you as well, of a time when this was the place that pumped out evangelists that the rest of the world was affected by. Where in the world are they? How do they not make it home? But you know what the good news is? This is chapter one. Do you know what I'm saying? And with that, friends, let me just say, maybe if you're in a place, I mean, obviously the Lord brought you here today, whether you've been here a hundred times or more, or whether, which would be fairly rare, um, or uh, since we're really new, or this is your first time, why don't I just say this? He's brought you here to hear something, and maybe the word for you today is in regards to that intimidation. Maybe you're in a place really where you're just so afraid of stepping on people's toes, and if it's like, let's make, it, let's make a rule, you can't step on anyone's toes, and then everyone stick their toes somewhere where you could step, well then you can't do anything but stand still. But it isn't like God made those rules. And I love the fact that Jesus was born in a Middle Eastern country, because a Middle Eastern country, toes don't exist. They'll just step. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, I, I do love that though. You know, you'll be like, hi, nice to meet you. And they'll be like, hi, you got something in your teeth. It's like, wow, nice to meet you too. Could you, and they're like, let me get it for you, you know? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I would much more appreciate that. And maybe that freaks you out. I know Lauren probably, she'll have nightmares tonight over that one. But, but in the end of it, I'll look at, this is what Jesus this is what we read in his scripture, and I'll get on to the other two because I'll move quite quickly from here. When Paul speaks 
And he writes to a young pastor who, by the way, is also extremely scared. His name's Timothy, which, by the way, means precious. And I don't know if, whether that's a hint at it, but, it, but in the end, oh, this is my son, precious. Well, anyways, he is really freaked out in First and Second Timothy. And, and what Paul says is, listen, boy, as my spiritual son, God has not given you a spirit again of fear. Again. Now, God never gave him a spirit like that in the first place. But the idea of it is, Timothy, you know that spirit, but it's not the one God gave you. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's the one that God gives. The world will give you one of fear. God wants to give you one of power. And I guarantee you, every one of us, if we were honest in this room, has been intimidated to in silence at least once, maybe even in the last week or two. Times where you just kind of knew there was an impressing on your heart, but you went, I don't know if I really share that much. God hasn't given you that spirit. That's not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is power. And the word dunamis is not like just blowing things up. It's literally overcoming resistance. That's what the word means. The spirit of God is one that overcomes resistance, even if that resistance is you. In other words, can I say it this way? God will give you his spirit as a spirit and can I just say, like a coach, like the coach God called me to be to you, God gives you the spirit that helps you get over yourself. Be warmed and filled. Let's move to the second point. And by the way, one last thing. I'm going to actually, um, I'm going I'm to have you do something really strange. And this is the first time this has probably ever happened in all of England. You get to be a part of it. You ready? Stand up for a second. I'm going to ask you to obey scripture. Stand, not that. But if that's happened before in scripture. But go ahead and stand up. Stand up with me for a second. Now, if you really, really have a problem with this, that's okay, because everybody else is doing it too. I'm going to read you a scripture, and we're going to have a little bit of role play for just a second. So you ready? Some of you are like, this is exciting. Some of you right now are already getting indigestion, just thinking of it. <laughs> Listen to this, please. Luke 6.22. And actually, James, I'm going to call you up here for a second, because I'm, I'm going to need an example. Okay. <laughs> Everyone, this is James. He didn't write the book in Scripture. He's too young for that, but just the same. Now listen to this Scripture, James. Blessed are you. Did you get that much? Blessed are you when men hate you. Mm. When they exclude you. Mm. Revile you. Cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Not just because you're a giant jerk for Jesus. Listen. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. What does that say right there? And leap for joy. That's what it says, right? Yeah. I'm not making this up. Nope. <laughs> Are you getting nervous now? <laughs> for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Now, rehearsal, role play. Ready? <laughs> you used to be cool, but now you got this Jesus thing. How do I leap? <laughs> <laughs> was that good? Was that good? Okay. We're all going to the pubs now to go have some fun, but you're not invited. <laughs> now there's a rejoice in there too, which is sort of a vocal thing too. So woohoo! But there's a leap too. There you go. Gotta get both in there, right? Okay. Oh what, you believe in that creation thing? Only idiots believe in that creation thing. Yeah. Okay. 
What kind of closed-minded bigot only believes there's one way to salvation? Okay, did you get it? No. You want to find, you really want to freak someone out who's trying to make fun of you. What do they do with that? I want to warn you, that's what scripture said. Okay, now it's your turn. Finally. Finally. You have to do it too. You're part of that. Okay, ready? What are you guys like in some kind of cult? What's this whole Jesus thing about anyways? Always Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, some of you may never come back after this. Okay. Wait a minute. What do you believe? Like, like, but this is this is society now, and we've advanced to this place. And you're going to tell me this thing is wrong, even though your Bible, your Bible is outdated. You really believe Jesus is the only way? Oh, come on. What about these other guys? What's wrong with you? You're out of date. Okay, go ahead and be seated. I won't bother you anymore with that. Go ahead, James. Thank you. Now, okay. Did you ever think you'd do that in church? But listen, Jesus didn't say, you might want to think about doing this. He says, this is what you should do. And this is why. He doesn't say because it will really freak them out. What he said is, because great is your reward in heaven. That's what he said. See, in the end of it all, listen, Israel had gotten very, very comfortable in a place they weren't citizens. And God had to change that to get them home. How comfortable are you here? Is this your permanent address? You know, it's things, some, there have been some horrible tragedies lately. There have been some amazing things, but it's moments like that that we are reminded, this isn't home. And God has a way of, of, of actually reminding you there's still only tent stakes pl- pulled into the ground, but they're not there forever. You're going to pull up this tent sooner or later. And when you do, you're actually going to see your permanent address. You might want to actually sort of take care of that place because this place you only live in for a while. That's sort of like thinking that I'm going to invest all my time in this week that I'm going to be in this hotel room because I really want to... And then you move out of there and you have, you have all this regret because everything was in a hotel room that you only were in for a small period of time. And then you're going to go home and you're like, oh, my house, this could have been so much better. Shame I bought you know, new furniture for a place I was moving out on. And then the reason I say that is, is that God wants to remind you, this is in your home, friends. But while you're here, occupy. But be the travel agent for your permanent address, please. Now listen. Let's, you know, you're like, we're never going to get out of here. Well, that's okay. This is in your home. Maybe the Lord will come back and you will be freed from this affliction. Anyways, listen. Then the taskmaster, they said taskmasters over him, verse 11. Notice it says to afflict them. Remember, that was the promise in Genesis 15. They built these cities. Verse 12, the more they afflicted them, same word, just in case you didn't get it the last time. Well, that backfired. So get this, persecution, will it drop numbers in a church? Sure it will, but it will not stop the fruitfulness of the church because the numbers that are often in a church sometimes is, and I'm going to pardon me for saying this, sometimes it's just dead branches that aren't even attached to the vine. Guys coming in because they think cute girls are there. Some people coming in because they think they can get some kind of hit for money at the end of it all. There's all kinds of reasons to come to church that has nothing to do with Jesus. But when persecution happens, what you find is that stuff kind of comes off, leaves real quick. People go, well, the church really doesn't grow. Yes, it does. 
But if you really think the church is just a bunch of people sitting in chairs, that's not going to grow. But Jesus isn't looking at how many chairs are full. He's looking at how many hearts are full. And that's a different story because it's at those moments he tells us that that kind of persecution, he says, is like a trial. That is like your faith is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire would be proven genuine and result in praise, honor, and glory when Christ is revealed. See, I mean, our hearts get diluted with all this stuff, and God goes, I know how to purify that. It's not a fun thing, but you will be purified in this. And there they are, going, man, I'm going to... So all of a sudden, here we are backing down. But in all of that, in this persecution, you had to choose what kind of Christian you were going to be. You don't really have to choose that here. But man, whenever we came to... I mean, there are some countries where some of you, by the way, I know you well enough to know, for you to choose Jesus, there were all kinds of massive sacrifices for that. Some, to be honest, you don't even remember ever really choosing him because it kind of just seemed like that's what your family did. But in the end of it all, look at When it comes down to where it really costs you something, then you see what really is important. And things that are important will cost you. So what happens? Since that backfires, verse 13 and 14, they make them serve with rigor. Literally the idea at this point. By the way, it says that they were in dread, verse 12. The word literally means they were disgusted and made anxious. So that means like there were Egyptians sitting in the house and they were, they were trying to eat dinner, not talking about the elephant in the room, and somebody finally talks about those Hebrews and ah, oh, they all get in an argument. Because, oh, you're driving me crazy. I don't want to hear anything more about those guys. Ah, oh, let's make it worse. Let's make you total slaves, not just give you credit cards. So they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, mortar, brick, and all manner of service in the field. Now what happened is they made them manual laborers all the way down to the point where they just were working all the time. They didn't serve with rigor. Twice it says that. Literally, the word means to break. And the idea of it is something that's made so hard that it's intended to break you. But that doesn't work. So they said, here's this next step. Step two of three is, look at Let's kill all the boys. Let's talk to the women who help with, with children being born. And he says, here's the deal. If you see a boy being born, kill him. Now, hear me, there's two different girls here. By the way, the names are going to Shifra and Pua. The names mean brightness and brilliance. I like that, by the way. God, think, God has something in that. And what they basically say, I mean, ultimately, he's going to call, they're going to be called to the carpet on this. And they're like, I mean, you know, these like Egyptian girls, they're like real wimps. But I tell you what, these Hebrew gals, they're just like sort of there they are. They're bowling. All of a sudden, out comes the baby. And they're bad. They, they, they pick up that 710 split in the middle of it. I mean, it's, and the reason I say that is... Is that somewhere, and here's our second thing, and it may not be what you may appear, because why not kill everyone? Why kill just the guys? See, because if you kill the guys, well, the girls, the only ones they have to marry are Egyptians. And, and see, what they knew, what the enemy knew is, if you can get a person and, and have them give their heart to someone who isn't part of them, well, they'll cease to be who they were. And, and the reason I said the second thing, by the way, if I can just say, is intermingling or intermarriage. Now, we're really familiar with some of these texts, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, where it says, look, don't let believers be yoked together with unbelievers. And the idea is simple. The idea is, look, it, there's no fellowship with light and darkness. And you're either under the governance of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're under the governance of the enemy, which, by the way, you're never the person on your throne. The enemy will just lead you to believe you are. Now, please hear me as we wrap this around. We're, really, we're nearing the end of this. Is that... The enemy knows that if he can't just intimidate you to silence, he could try to just divert your heart to something that really isn't as much. Now look at unequally yoked doesn't just mean you put a donkey and an ox together. And that's the easiest one, but for a person that's as full on or at least as hardcore as I tend to be, 
two oxen, one that's big and beefy and one that's not, is still unequally yoked. And that's the most common unequal yoking to this day. Because the strong will always pull the other one. Now hear me. If you are full on absolutely in love with Jesus, and you find someone that calls themselves a Christian, and that's the best you can give us, that's the best you can tell your own heart, that's unequal yoke. If you really think, I mean, there you are, and you're full on, but this other person's like, well, you know, they go to church. Look at, I believe Satan goes to church. Some of you are like, I met my, my first husband, I met he, I know Satan goes to church. But, and I'm, anyways, the only reason I say that is, is that just because someone says something doesn't make it anything. Like, well, I'll, you know, Christians are rotten too. That person's a Christian. How do you know? They told me. And that when you believed them. Look at, my prayer is, for all of you single people, first of all, but by the way, yoking is friends too, isn't it? Matter of fact, we still use that term. Shakespeare used to call people his yoke fellow. Those are people he hung out with. That's his posse. And find people who, who want to, I mean, look at, I want to be challenged the very best. I say it this way, a runner runs faster in a faster race. I mean, if I really want to be best, don't I want to be with people who want to train like I'm training or, or harder and I want to do it with, I mean, that have that passion to want to do it to the very best. I don't want to be in the weakest competition, but be the best in the weakest competition. I'd rather be in the toughest competition and then be challenged to, to my limit to know exactly what I really do have to give or not. What if that was this? As we sit in the locker room of life here with the book open of the playbook in our laps or apps, and, and in that, what would it be like if we really were like, look, at you know what? I want to do this. I mean, I want to be full, full on for Jesus with an Olympic attempt for the rest of my life and I don't want to be hanging out with people that still are still learning so to speak I want to be people who are just they just what they want because man I tell you the Bible warns us that bad company corrupts good practices and good habits it's like look at in the end of it all it's like well then we don't engage the world no then we engage the world with the heart to, to see them reached with the love of Jesus but listen there's a difference between who your ministry is sometimes and who your friends are your friends have influence over your heart be careful who you hand that to in our household we talk about everyone you meet your ministry but people graduate to friends when you're comfortable with knowing that that individual's influence would be a good thing in your life and they're like, look it, well, if you can't do it, if you can't just intimidate through the silence, let's just say, you know what? Little of this, man, she's cute. Calls herself a Christian. Her name's Christina. Isn't that close enough? <laughs> then we get to the last of them. Sorry. So, 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 you know, so, the, so the boss calls these girls in. He's like, what's up? What are you doing? You're supposed to kill them. And they're like, look it. Now, do you think they're lying? I tend to think this is actually true, but I tend to think that maybe they were kind of taking the long route to the house. You know? It's like, oh, oh, it's, oh I'll get there. I'll get there. And I got there. with the babies? I don't know. They were gone. But in the end of it all, one thing's for sure. These women did not want to kill these boys. And there will always be, by the way, in every generation, some people that just really, to be honest, are not going to bow to society. Now, I'm not talking about being the kind of person that wants to blow up the government. The only time when God ever condones disobedience to a government, which, by the way, God tells us he's established the government around us, is when, listen, listen, not when you disagree, when they command that you sin. That's when, and that should be the only hill you die on. And the command, by the way, was abortion. You get that. It was full-term abortion. That's what they were commanding. He was like, I'm not going to do that. 
There is no way I'm going to do that. And at that point you think, well, these girls could be tortured to death. Think of all these things. And God's like, look it. I'll take care of you. Trust me. Now look it. Please hear me on this. If that's the world you came from, can I just say this as a man? I know what it's like to be confronted. And I don't want to make little of that at all. I know what it's like to be confronted with situations that I know this is an, it seems like it, this is packaged as an easier way out. And this is the hard road that somehow I know is right. And though I can't ever get pregnant, I'm aware of that, I know what it's like to take an easier route in something when I knew that something else was really what I was supposed to do. It just demanded more of me. And the reason I say that is, is that praise God that there's forgiveness. That's not license for your future, but it sure is rest from your past. Can I just say that? And I just want you to know, God is here to heal. And we have, we have pastors, wise, that have come from such a torrid past that you wouldn't believe it if you met them. But man, what God has done in their lives is nothing short of a miracle. And I'm just here to tell you that, man, you are a new creation in Christ. That should be, in regards to your past, that's forgiveness. But in regards to your future, that's a new direction. Does that make sense? And be that now, please. And so the last of them, we went from intimidation to intermingling to elimination. I mean, in the end of it all, it's just infant side. Let's just, and now what happens is he has this meeting with everyone. He goes, look at every Egyptian. If you really are an Egyptian, if you really think you're Egyptian, you see a baby boy, kill it. That's it. Just kill it. And by the way, how did they traditionally kill them? They threw them in the Nile because every place in the Nile except one finger of the Nile, hear me on that, except for one finger of the Nile, everything else was completely saturated with crocodiles. And matter of fact, you can see on wall reliefs in Egypt to this day, you can see pictures of people throwing babies in where crocodiles are actually eating the babies on the way down. That is, I mean, that is the recorded history on their walls. But there was one, hear me out. Could there be a darker time than this for a savior to, be, to manifest in the world? A deliverer? And that's what God does. So when you go, this place, this world we're in is so dark, sounds like a perfect setting for the light of the world, don't you think? Man, I am not intimidated, and I am not, you know, pessimistic. I am absolutely hopeful. Absolutely. Now, hear me out as we go to prayer on this. That one finger, that one finger of the Nile where crocodiles do not, for whatever reason, I would say it's God, where they don't, happens to be the one place. Well, if you were royalty and you had to bathe in a river, where would you pick? <laughs> That's a pretty simple thing, don't you think? And there's going to be a girl who happens to be a princess who's taking a bath in that one place where a boat, a little basket, floating basket happens to be sitting and that's what God is, of course, setting us up with as we get to the next couple chapters. Do you see that? Now look at it. As we go to prayer, where are you at today? First thing, are you intimidation? Are you intimidated? Second thing, now I'm talking about me. Are you intimidated by the world? Second, by the way, are you in a place where your heart's just polluted? It's so diluted like weeds that grow in your forest that choke the very life out of you and keep the fruitfulness? The enemy can do it, by the way, with fear, and he also can do it with greed. 
And it's, you know what, I've learned to get off the road. You don't have to just yank the wheel and pull it hard. All you have to do is turn it a little bit and leave it there. More people die from those kind of things than actually turning the wheel hard anyways. And friends, look at if you've ever been what it's like, well, you know, you're right here, man, and it's so good. And the name of Jesus makes your heart skip a beat. And man, it's just, it's just me and you, Jesus. It's so simple and it's so romantic and it's so beautiful. And then they're like, oh, Jesus, and, and the wheel turns. A wife, a husband, children don't have to turn the wheel. They just have to revolve around you and Jesus. Does that make sense? You're not steering to it. You're inviting them in the car that's already going. Maybe that's you today. And God, I know the word is looking. I, I, I want to just get back to me and you, please. Maybe you're actually in the place, to be honest, where it's just like, look at, there's just an all-out frontal assault right now and you've, gone to, you've stepped back far enough and now it just feels like you're going to fall off the cliff and there's just no Jesus left in this thing in your life. I'm here to let you know that the deliverer has come to take you where you belong. And if you've made this place your home, if you don't have Jesus, this is as good as it's going to get. If you do have Jesus, friends, this is as bad as it's going to get. And even if it's awesome here, it's still the worst. Isn't that amazing? Have you accepted the gift of your deliverer who took all your filth and died on a cross and then rose again and said, can I reinvent you now, please? Because he wants to. You have the new permanent address, the fresh heart, and an adoptive love. Will you please pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much Lord, that this is not my home. And, that, and, and in that, Lord, I know that there's only one thing in this current hotel room you have us in that's going to be worth anything in the one to come. And that's not cars or gold. The gold's going to actually be, it appears to be the pavement for those cars in heaven, if there are cars in heaven. It's not things we've amassed or trophies we've achieved either in our hearts or in our past. The only thing that's really going to matter in heaven is people. And God, I just ask your forgiveness as a priest to stand in the gap for myself but also for my brothers and sisters in here, for any of us that have forgotten that there is a day you're coming back for us to take us home, that where you are, we may be all also. And we've been in this hotel long enough, it's sort of all we've known. But Lord, this is still our Egypt. And we're not to be here forever. And you have promised, Lord, that there will be a season we will be here. But in the end of it all, you promised that you would bring us out with great riches. Forgive us for trying to make our entire life about getting the riches here. That will mean nothing in the sight of eternity. But I would rather lay forth my treasures in heaven 
And I'm old enough to know, Lord, you know this. That if I could bring anything to heaven, anything with me, it would be my family. It would be my friends. It would be those around me. And so, God, I just pray right now that you reprioritize my life the way you should, the way I should. I pray, Lord, that as I draw closer to you, it just doesn't seem like intimidation has its power anymore. Because there's nothing left to be intimidated about. And so, God, I just pray right now that that you would make me bold by the power of your spirit. That's not the spirit of fear or bondage again to that fear. Rather, God, that you would fill me with that spirit that's the spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Which means, God, that I have to, your spirit gives me the power to overcome so that I can actually love and have a sound mind. And I pray, Lord, for this country our country. Lord, that you would, in a time seeming so dark, manifest your deliverer through us and bring deliverance. For every outright assault, every outright intimidation, for every intermingling of things that we just do not belong to keep put our hands in. Cleanse us now. And finally, if there be any or many who have not said yes to the, this gift of Jesus, and maybe today you realize this isn't about church. Church is a family reunion. The question is whether you're a part of the family. And God is still adopting. And he's all about it. And I get to be a representative of that. Thank you, God, for that. But today, God would like to transform you. He'd like to forgive you of all your sins, cleanse you from all of your filth, and adopt you and make you his own. He's done all the work, and the only thing that's left is whether you will say yes to that gift, allowing him to be your savior. Jesus' death is your saving grace. And his resurrection, giving him permission to be the Lord of your life now and as we say, the architect of your reinvention. And if that's you today, I'm going to pray this prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you agree with it, I ask you to say a resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, so be it. Let those words be my words. Let that be my prayer. And here it is. God in heaven, I confess to you, I am not perfect. I've done wrong, and though my wrong may be different than others, it's still wrong. But I believe that you died on the cross, Jesus, to pay for all that wrong, that my penalty could be paid in full. And just as your scripture promised, you literally died, you were literally buried, and you literally rose again on three days, just in three days, just like your scripture promised. And now you offer me your innocence, your forgiveness, my salvation and reinvention to which I gladly say yes. 
confessing you, Jesus, is the only way I can be right and it's sufficient. But now as you've risen from the dead as well, I confess you as my Lord, giving you permission to completely reinvent me. And may I learn to delight in your delight and make best use of this time that I have left in this hotel room. So I commit myself to you, have me, and I know you will. In Jesus, in your name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.